This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Hi, everybody. This is Leonard DiLorenzo, host of Church Life Today. Before we get to today's episode, just a quick word from me to you. We just passed our second anniversary of this show, and I wanted to say... Thanks. Thanks for listening. And thanks for all the great feedback you've sent our way in the past two years. If you like what you hear in our conversations with pastoral leaders and scholars, please pass our episodes along to others. Everything's available online at RedeemerRadio.com slash churchlife or on SoundCloud at Church Life Today. And if you live in an area where your local Catholic radio station does not carry our show, call your station, send them an email, ask them to take us on. Now let's get to today's show. Have we gotten Catholic education all wrong? That's a daunting question, but an important one and potentially a liberating one. It's the kind of question that the resurgence of more classical models of education may be responding to. And one of the catalysts of this resurgence is the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education. My guest today is the executive director of this institute, Elizabeth Sullivan. She joins me, Leonard DiLorenzo, to talk about how the holistic model for Catholic education that developed over two millennia has been replaced over the course of just a few decades, and how Catholic liberal education seeks to retrieve what has been lost for the sake of a truly universal, integrative, and ultimately liberating education order to the fullness of truth, beauty, and goodness in Jesus Christ. Elizabeth Sullivan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lenny. I'm really honored to be here. I want to talk about the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education, but before we talk about the work of your institute, maybe we should start by talking about liberal education itself, which is right there in the name. For those of us who might not be familiar with what liberal education is, give us a little background, a little understanding of that. Well, the essential piece to understand is the sense of the word liberal that we mean. Um, In this sense, it goes back to the original classical meaning of the word in terms of liberty. It comes from the Latin liber, which means free. But we're talking here not about license, as liberal has come to mean sometimes in the modern world, but um, the sense of true freedom to uh, govern ourselves with wisdom and virtue, to order our Uh, passions and our intellect toward what is true. And that's needed both for the human soul, but also for society, for a free society. Self-governance, self-rule. Yeah. So that's, I mean, especially with this word liberal, which at this point comes with a whole bunch of baggage. I imagine you have to explain this quite regularly, right? (laughs) Yes, we do. And it's very tricky because, of course, having to have 15 definitions before you explain what you're doing or coming with all this baggage. Uh-huh. But we, we're, we're re- trying to reclaim the word in its original yeah, form. Absolutely. Um, to really understand, because in this sense, what is Catholic liberal education? Mm-hmm. We would say that it's Catholic with a capital C and a small c, that mm-hmm. it's universal, mm-hmm. liberal in that it is freeing, and education uh, in the sense of how the church understands it as complete human formation. So it's a universal freeing formation of the whole person. Universal freeing formation of the whole person. I would say that. I like that very much. <laughs> but it can't be the Institute for the Universal Freeing that, exactly. of the Whole Person. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it would never fit on your business card, and it would definitely not work. Okay, so if 
A liberal arts education is ordered towards freedom, as you said, the sort of freedom of self-governance through wisdom and virtue. Are there forms of education that are un that that actually bind you, that don't lead to freedom, that this is working in response to? Yes, very much so. So really what this is is, is a reclamation of a 25-year 2,500-year-old tradition that began in the ancient world. Um, the tradition of liberal, liberal learning, it was taken up by the church mm-hmm. and ordered toward Christ. So the liberal arts are, the, are not what people think of in terms of um, majors in college. Right. Right? They are, there are seven liberal arts. They are considered the tools of thinking and learning that free us to see the truth of things. So why this is important is because for the hundred last hundred years or so, a radically different philosophy of education has taken hold, mm-hmm. which um, which basically arose. The architect of this modern form of education is John Dewey. Or the the evil name that lurks <laughs> the in, evil yeah, name. That's right, John Dewey. <laughs> what many people don't understand about Dewey is that he was an atheist. Mm. And so he really rejected a 2,500-year-old tradition that believed that it was a search for truth, beauty, goodness. Mm -hmm. And um, he believed that we couldn't ask those big questions that had been perennially perennially asked. Who is man? What is his purpose? And how ought we to live? And you can't ask those because there is no response, right? right. If if you're atheist, there's no... There is no one who would give a response. There is no reason for asking. It's going to lead nowhere. So why develop an educational system towards that end? Right? Exactly right. So for pragmatic reasons, as you know, from an atheist mindset, that would be a useless education. That's right. Okay. Why spend time on philosophy or poetry? Mm. We want to have a, a functional educational system that will serve the state, make good citizens for the state. That might sound like a good idea at first, but of course we know that the state is not the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And the founding fathers understood that the state is not the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. So the danger is that when you remove those big questions, those big philosophical questions, philosophy simply means a love of wisdom, um, you are left with only pragmatic things. You're left with a pragmatic and utilitarian approach to education. And what does that do in, in practice? It removes the two things. The two things that modern education have stripped from learning are a, an understanding or a quest, at least, for the meaning and the purpose of things. Mm. So they've taken out the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting bits. Right. Not just how do things work and what are they made of, but most importantly, what are they for? Mm. And when we take off our eye off that end goal, the telos, or telos, as the ancients would have said, then everything becomes disordered. If you're aiming at a target, and if you're even one degree off, well, over time, you're very far off the mark. And that's what's happened to modern education. It's become an industrial, fragmented system, a fragmented view of reality that is puts children on a hamster wheel for 12 years, going over facts and skills, but not building to a coherent understanding of reality or the world. Have we named that hamster wheel something like college preparatory? That comes pretty close. Okay. So when that is your goal, Uh the good grades, the good standard, we're going to measure our school by the standardized tests. Mm -hmm. We're going to order our instruction to standardized tests and uh, college and career readiness. And we're telling children that that's your purpose to get these good grades, to get into a good college, to get that good job, we see how empty that is in the end. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't motivate or inspire them. Mm -hmm. And it's no 
no accident that after 100 years of an education that has discarded the search for wisdom and virtue, we're looking at the culture that we have now that right. is um, not just harmful to the formation of the intellect. We have to have remedial math and composition in right. freshman year of college, but we see what it's done to the human soul, the despair, the anxiety, um, just the suffering among a lot of young people. It's not the signs of liberation, no. of freedom. No. It's the signs of sort of cryptic forms of captivity yes. that have just creeped Enslavement. in. Enslavement. Indeed. So we want to f- liberate the captives. Yes, there. indeed. <laughs> okay, so some, and people must give, must respond to you at times with this. They say, well, it sounds like you're against college readiness then, career readiness. Um, this sounds like maybe an, an idyllic worldview that you have of this is what education is. It's to seek truth for truth's own sake, and um, it's to have the joy of learning. But are people going to be able to get jobs? Are they yes, going to be sounds... able to succeed in college? Like, are we? Are they just going to be home in my basement, my children, having, you know, at 25 years old or 35 years old, having grand thoughts but not making a paycheck? So, Yes, it sounds so impractical, doesn't it? <laughs> but when you... It's not two different tracks, right? Mm. When you're aiming at human flourishing, human excellence, you are definitely checking those boxes of college and career readiness. Okay. But you're checking checking them much more effectively because it's a unified whole. So part of this is a spirit of inquiry, a spirit of contemplation, but also those tools of thinking that are very precise and very ordered. Mm. So there was this very highly ordered ladder of learning from the ancient world until this fragmentation began to disintegrate that as well. So we had, prior to this, the, the scaffolding, if you will, the structure of the seven liberal arts that lead you to contemplate the higher things, philosophy, theology. Um, what has happened is, in, in an, um, state standards are well-intentioned. No teacher wants to miss the critical piece along the way. But what has happened, it's... It's almost as if they've taken Bloom's taxonomy, shuffled the cards for every subject, every lesson, every deck, all the way through. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it essentially has fragmented reality, and it has tied teachers in knots because they can't see the unified whole either. And Mm -hmm. it's enslaved teachers in many ways because it's reduced the nobility of teaching. So part of this effort is that we really want to restore the nobility of teaching. In a Catholic school, for example, in a faith-based school, what is a teacher? A teacher is a privileged guide to help a child to discover the truth of things so that child can order his or her life and love to that truth. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Elizabeth Sullivan, Executive Director of the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education. So we're talking already about liberal education but there's more to this. You're talking about Catholic liberal education. So what is the difference that the Catholic part of that makes? The end, right? The end of it. The end of it. Mm. It's freedom in Christ. Because for a Christian, there is no true freedom without understanding the source of all freedom, Mm -hmm. the end of all freedom, Mm -hmm. to order our lives and our loves to that truth, as I said. So we might think of wisdom as knowing the truth, lowercase t and capital T, Mm -hmm. and virtue as imitating the truth. So ultimately, it's about the imitation of Christ, the Mm. Christian life. And this is, though, though, as you're saying, this um, 
style of education was adopted from the ancients, this is what the ancients would have been lacking. The, the real true source and summit of freedom, who is the person of Christ, revealed and given to us. Yes. And that's what Catholic liberal education would propose and lead young people to. Exactly right. And the ancients would have, the ancients were searching for, and they called it mm-hmm. the Logos. Yeah. They didn't know his name. They didn't They'd, know his they name. They hadn't seen his face, but they it's, were looking for him. So is this then, here in the 21st century, trying to pull an ancient educational system into the modern world, jumping over the developments of education that have, have they been developments of education between then and now? Or have did we lose this education? So in other words, is this now being imported into Catholic education, or is this a reclaiming of a vision of Catholic education? We believe it's a reclaiming okay. of an authentic philosophy of Catholic education. Why? Because it's based in the human person, mm-hmm. in how God made us to learn and become virtuous, mm-hmm. and to order our lives in this way, okay. and, and also in the nature of reality. Because... A, a Christian sees the world, a person of faith, a Christian sees the world through different eyes. We see that nothing in this world exists in meaningless isolation. The great mystery is that in him we live and move and have our being. And so our, our lives are a discovery of the richness, the beauty, the mystery, the complexity of reality. And that can never be done in a fragmented, secular, progressive, utilitarian model. And in fact, we believe that importing that model uncritically into Catholic schools is very damaging to the faith mm. of children, because we also want to form their imagination when they're very young. Yeah. Um, many people misunderstand what the imagination is. In modern education, it's what kind of creativity springs from a blank slate. Mm-hmm. But as Tolkien said, we are only sub-creators, mm-hmm. right? Of, of the creator. And um, we need to be able to form a child's imagination in accordance with reality, to give them a moral imagination, as well as what we would call the sacramental imagination that allows them to begin to detect the divine presence and the supernatural order. Because without that, um, they will never understand the mysteries of the faith or grasp the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So let's let's get to some difficult things then. Yes. So if we're talking about Catholic education today, I don't know if there's a if there's really a typical Catholic school, but let's maybe many of us have, you know, a, at least a typical picture of a mm-hmm. Catholic school something like that. Are we saying that Catholic education today has not been formed by this this classical view that that we inherited in the church that was really part of the church's educational mission for all of these centuries, that there's another paradigm that's been incorporated and really is kind of the predominant uh, paradigm within Catholic education today? Yes. So unfortunately, we've just been cut off from from this tradition. Okay. And it is not the fault of any educator that mm-hmm. we haven't had this formation, because for the last 50 years, all, all teacher formation, teacher education, let's say, has been fundamentally secular. So a, a teaching license or certificate from a state is really formed according to a philosophy of education that was dominated by or built under this vision from John Dewey. And But what we're seeing is the hearts of teachers uh, in Catholic schools, they know that they're ordered toward more than college and career readiness. And they're doing heroic work within what I think is effectively as a broken system. Mm-hmm. 
The beautiful thing is when they're exposed to this vision and this small basket of tools, we are so gratified to see how they how much they are freed and excited to really connect what they believe um, with how they teach and mm-hmm. to continually grow. And we, we say it's it's this opportunity to continue growing and teaching in the light of Christ. And what they do with this is astounding to us. We're just humbled. They are the ones out there who are renewing Catholic education. Yeah. And and the important thing to know is very few of them, hardly any of them, had a, a liberal arts background themselves. But once all it takes is openness uh-huh. and really a love of the Lord. It's a journey of faith for the teachers themselves. Yeah. Where we get a lot of great feedback from them. Well, this seems like a good opportunity then to start talking a little bit about your institute and the work that you do, because much of it is not only heralding this uh, reclaiming of the classical mode of education, but also equipping and preparing educators and schools to begin to adopt this. So can you tell us a little bit about what the work of your institute is, who you work with, and how you do it? Yes. The Institute um, was actually founded in 1999 um, with the idea of helping teachers, first with the Catholic Textbook Project, which is one arm of the operation. Then in 2006, Dr. Andrew Seeley, who's a tutor at Thomas Aquinas College, Mm -hmm. really felt that he wanted to contribute in some way by just inflaming the hearts of teachers. He felt that they were demoralized. And so what he brought to it were academic retreats for teachers to help them discover the spark of learning. And... Uh, In 2010, I found myself on one of those academic retreats as I was seeking to help a small, independent school in the Catholic tradition to really reclaim this tradition. And as it turned out, this was rising up in the hearts of a lot of parents and a lot of educators around the country. And um, at that point, I... It resonated with me so much because I had seen the difference in our youngest child's response Mm. to this that I joined the Institute in 2010. So since then, um, in 2013, we started a national conference that has grown over time. So, I mean, last year, I believe we served directly 500 educators from 33 states representing more than 20,000 students. But in the last two years, the demand for this has exploded because it's resonating everywhere and it's working everywhere everywhere that it has been tried wholeheartedly, and teachers have been given the support and the freedom to do this. It is flourishing mm-hmm. in all kinds of settings, yeah. rural, urban, affluent, low income, uh, and especially with all different kinds of learners. So there's a lot of differentiation built in. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Elizabeth Sullivan, Executive Director of the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education. So if you have a school contact you and say, you know, I've, I've been, you know, a principal say, has, I've been studying uh, this liberal education model that you're um, proposing. I've learned some things about it. I'm, I'm interested in kind of bringing some of this approach to our school. I've been talking to our superintendent. I think, you know, this is something we want to try to do to really reclaim and strengthen our Catholic education. What do you do for them? <laughs> we begin by just encouraging them to to introduce and invite the teachers to consider this. Because without their buy-in, okay. we don't want to force this on anyone. Mm-hmm. We want to invite them to see how exciting and beautiful this is. Mm-hmm. And it's especially important when the principal understands. Typically, a principal feels like they need to be a, the master mm-hmm. of something. But when a principal can have the humility to say, I don't know what this either, what this is either, but... 
I sure would like to know. And mm-hmm. so rolling up our sleeves, let's learn this together. So we will, um, we have a page on our website, transition suggestions, what they can begin to read. We go in and do workshops with them. We usually recommend about a two-year transition period, so no one is overwhelmed. And a lot of it is about the pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Reclaiming a spirit of inquiry, learning how to ask questions that guide children to discover the truth of things, to um, reclaim especially two things, I would say. Well, let me back up and say most of our Catholic schools are doing an amazing job um, Stronger catechesis, certainly, than when I was going through faith formation, devotions. I think that's stronger than when I went through Catholic school. Two things get added back in um, to the curricular changes or pedagogical changes. I would say reclaiming the story of history as salvation history. Mm. Because as Christians, we, we don't look at history necessarily as the secular world does. We see that history had a beginning. It had a pivotal point in the incarnation and it will have an it end. It will have an end, yeah. <laughs> it, will it will have an end. Yeah. And the church, the body of Christ on earth, the role of Christianity has really illuminated so much in human history and followed the path this path of salvation history. So we see that children respond to that quickly to see themselves in the story. Hmm that God brought them into the world at this particular place and time and is calling them to a mission. And and we learn by story, right? Our Lord taught by parable. Yeah. And they really respond to that. So that's the first year, that and a real emphasis on the mastery of language mm-hmm. because language is the medium of thought. Mm-hmm. And we want to give them the tools to be able to think clearly and communicate effectively, communicate the truth effectively. Yeah, 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 yeah. What What is the role of wonder then in this education? So this is something I've often heard, and even in schools that, you know, for, for our own children, we've considered um, some of the schools will say, you know, one, we really champion wonder. Wonder is very important to, to the child. And sometimes I'm a little, you know, questioning of this. Like, how do you capture wonder? Um, how I think that sounds like the right thing, but is it the right thing? How do you do that? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> It's, I'm a believer. By it way. sounds cheesy. Yeah. It might sound cheesy, but what is wonder? Yeah, what right? is it? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas said that wonder is the first step that leads up the ladder to the beatific vision. Hmm. So this notion of, of exciting the mind, illuminating the mind, exciting the heart, that desire to know that is in every human heart, as Aristotle said, all men by nature desire to know. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine later explained to us, told us, um, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Mm. It's a, that's all of a piece. So we want to stimulate wonder. What's the chief way to do that? Is a question. To teach a child to observe and attend and wonder and ask the next question and to make connections between things to discover those connections is really what excites them. And to build on that, to give teachers the skills to know how to go about that is, um, is, is a profound change in the classroom, and it doesn't take that much. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in this. Yes. So I asked yes, the yes, question, yes. but I'm a believer <laughs> in this because, I mean, if you think about this, wonder is it's the instantiation of humility, right? Mm-hmm. And the beginning of any learning is already the admission that you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you don't admit that you don't know, you're not open to learning, right? So 
to be a student at any point as a child who is often very willing to admit that they don't know and is very interested in being taught how to do something. But especially as an adult, when you're not so willing to admit that you don't know and that somebody else might know better, wonder, you know, to be struck by wonder, to, to foster a disposition of wonder leaves you open to being surprised, to being led forward, to being um, inspired. Without wonder, you can go really nowhere as a, as a learner, it would seem to me. Right. Exactly right. So how do you create a school environment, a pedagogy that allows that to foster? And you said through questioning. Through Is there questioning. something in the school environment itself that helps that to develop? I think in these schools you see the faculty reclaim the wonder themselves. They become learners again. They become again. learners yeah. again. They become learners and worshipers together. And there's a humility of... The faculty meeting might no longer look like who's getting assigned to the to the lunch line yeah. or the pickup line. Nobody want, well, they, they wonder be, about that, but not in that sort of way. Yes. Yeah. So there'll be learners together. They're excited to reclaim this. They're reading the Flannery O'Connor story at, at the, the faculty mm-hmm. meeting every so often. And mm-hmm. once they become students, well, look, we can't give what we don't have. Mm. So that that renewed excitement of learning in the teachers spills over to the children, and this this sense that they're all continually learning. Obviously, the teacher is still the master, the guide, but that teacher modeling that they are still learning, that he or she is still learning, is um, very powerful for the children as well. Teachers are witnesses. Yeah. So let me create a hypothetical situation. You live in an area where you have the choice between Catholic school as, let's say, typically conceived. I know it's not, you know, maybe there's no typical Catholic school, but as typically conceived, or a non-Catholic school that has really adopted this liberal education, which would you prize more and why? It's, in a, it's a terrible question to ask. I know. I'm so sorry. Terrible question. I know. It's the struggle that we see so many parents having. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one example. In some places, there are very vibrant charter school networks that have reclaimed this classical model of education. One thing I want to say here is that these things get conflated. So we might call it the classical liberal arts tradition. We don't tend to emphasize the classical because we believe that classical speaks to the origins of the tradition. Mm -hmm. Liberal, especially Catholic liberal education, speaks to the end, freedom in Christ. Indeed. Um, It's terrible to have to make a trade-off between having Christ as the focus of your school, Mm -hmm. your children's lives, prayer, sacrament, all of those things. It's just terrible to have to make a choice between what you see as an education that um, that sparks their wonder and gives them that hunger that will keep them searching mm-hmm. rather than the apathy of the of the factory model. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm dodging the question. I know you're dodging the question and I can appreciate that. That's <laughs> very fine. Um, and in some ways it, it might also bring up, you know, if, if you did embrace the liberal education over the liberal arts education over... Um, the, for lack of a better term, typical Catholic education, what has become typical, which what wasn't typical, but has become typical, it may just reinforce the importance of faith formation outside of the school, if you're in the, in the liberal arts school that isn't a Catholic school. Yes. Maybe true. I, do, I think it's very hard to leave a school mm-hmm. with Christ and prayer at the center. It's true. Because that is the ultimate mm-hmm. end. And one other thing I want to, one other point I want to make is that Catholic liberal education or or liberal education is not the only way to be free in Christ, right? 
because illiterate peasants have become saints. So the most important most thing is holiness. Yes, yeah, right. yes, indeed. Mo, you know, the right. most important thing is holiness. Right. We're just simply talking about... When we're educating, okay. if we're going to educate, this is the way to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the ways in which it seems that, um, and we might have to end with this, we could continue the conversation another time, but one of the ways it seems in which that choice has been made, in especially in recent decades, has been with homeschooling, right? That um, especially among uh, Catholic parents, in seeing what is on offer in the public school system, um, maybe not excited about that, um, but also looking at the Catholic schools and feeling like perhaps something is missing, have decided to provide the education, the this formal education for their children themselves in the home environment where they can reorganize it and reorient it. Um, what's the relationship between that homeschooling movement that's emerged in the last couple of decades and, and what you're trying to do? So this rediscovery of the church's tradition owes a huge debt of gratitude to homeschooling parents. Mm-hmm. The irony of it is that the Catholic intellectual tradition was first rediscovered by Protestant homeschooling How parents. About that? Yeah. And that we hear from them, we heard from them for so many years, where are the Catholics? This is your tradition. <laughs> so they began by homeschooling, then creating independent Christian classical schools, um, and really delved into the pedagogy. Mm. So it came later to Catholic homeschool parents and Catholic um, families starting independent schools. But in the last, well, since 2010, it began to break into the parish school. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, all of this has been taken up, and d- entire dioceses are excited about this now and and opening this possibility to many of their schools. So we're very honored and excited to work with them yeah. as well. Just this grassroots movement springing, that came from the hearts of parents and now is, is really feeding the world. Renewal the usually yes. comes this way, right, yes. from, from the grassroots. Well, and we spoke about this, Elizabeth. Um, I recently, in a recent episode of ours, we talked to one of the principals that you've worked with who has been developing this liberal education model in his Catholic school, Thomas Curtin in Greenville, South Carolina. So if you're interested, our friends in um, hearing from a principal who's working in this in this uh, way, look up that episode of Church Life Today. That was with Thomas Curtin. But for today, thank you so much, Elizabeth Sullivan, for send, spending your time with us. Thank you so much for having me, Lenny. If you're interested in learning more about the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education, visit them online at catholicliberaleducation.org. We've been talking with Elizabeth Sullivan, Executive Director of that Institute. Thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?